From Washington, this is Talking Tax. I'm David Schultz. When I mention the country of Ireland, what's the first thing you think of? Shamrocks? St. Patrick's Day? Really, really top-notch dark beer? Well, if you're in the tax world, when I say Ireland, chances are you think of profit shifting. For decades now, Ireland has gained a global reputation as a place where big multinationals can move their profits to if they want to avoid other countries' higher tax rates. This trend accelerated in recent years with the rise of social media and online commerce, where it's unclear which nation a company actually operates in. However, according to one of the most prominent Irish economists, the Emerald Isle's reputation may no longer be deserved. Seamus Coffey, a lecturer at University College Cork and former chair of the Irish Fiscal Advisory Council, says the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act here in the U.S. restructured the global tax landscape to make it less profitable for multinationals to park their IP and other assets in Ireland. As a result, he says, many companies are now sending their profits back to the U.S. rather than on to low or no tax jurisdictions. But beyond that, there's also the matter of the OECD's global minimum tax. Earlier this year, the developed nations of the world agreed to set a floor on how low a tax rate can go. Bloomberg Tax's London-based reporter Hamza Ali called up Coffee to find out how this could affect Ireland and about why he says its tax haven reputation should be a thing of the past. Well, well, it's not the case that large companies are paying little or no tax. That's not true. That's completely false. If you look at some of the companies that garner many of the headlights, the likes of Google, etc., uh, Apple, Facebook, they all have huge tax payments. I think in the last 10 years you're looking at uh, Apple having paid around $100 billion uh, in tax. Um, Google may be close on, on, on $50 billion. It's commensurate with their profits. They're paying maybe a tax, an effective tax rate of 15-16%. Um, and these changes haven't really impacted that. Uh, one significant thing that has impacted the, the taxation of these U.S. multinationals has been U.S. tax law changes, particularly that the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act um, introduced via the, the Trump administration in late 2017, that most certainly lived up to the first part of its name. That introduced very significant tax cuts for U.S. multinationals, brought the headline rate from 35% down to 21% uh, and introduced even lower rates uh, for other types of profit. And if you look at the, the taxes of U.S. multinationals, they have fallen in recent years. But by and large, it's because of the, the tax laws passed by the U.S. Congress um, under a tax act called the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Um, do these companies pay no tax? Well, that's not the case. Um, and frequently you hear um, international leaders saying that these companies don't pay tax. They're leaving out a very crucial bit. Um Emmanuel Macron was in Ireland recently uh, speaking about these companies and again spoke about them not paying tax. But the crucial bit he left out is that they're not paying tax to France. Uh, the bulk of the tax these companies pay is to the US. And if they have operations in Ireland, they pay some tax in Ireland. Ireland is collecting very significant amounts of corporation tax in relative terms because these companies are massive uh, and have a huge impact in Ireland. So, so it's not the case that these companies don't pay tax. is that they don't pay tax where their customers are. And that's essentially how the, the system that's been in place for close to 100 years has evolved. That companies pay tax where they have their substance, or at least they should pay tax where they have their substance. Where do they have their activities? Uh, where do they have their assets? Where do they carry out uh, their key profit-generating functions? Um, and up to now, that has been where companies have paid their tax. And in the case of U.S. multinationals, most of that happens in the United States. 
Uh, a lot of it is based on intellectual property. Like why are why is Apple such a profitable company, earning 75, 80 billion dollars of profit a year? It's not that it's the only seller um, of consumer electronics. Um, it's that it has a huge intellectual property. It has a brand reputation. Um, it has uh, patents that it, it, it solely uses. Uh, and it has, in a sense, uh, a valuable IP that generates much of that profit. Uh, and where is that IP generated? It's generated in the US. So it's not a surprise that most of the profit is taxed in the US. Now, what some countries want is to change this. Um, and when France is saying that these companies don't pay tax, what they're saying is these companies don't pay tax in France. And that's true. But that's not the same as not paying tax at all. Uh, these companies pay huge amounts of tax, but they pay it to someone else. Okay, I guess um, what I was trying to get at is that the sort of minimum tax is designed to sort of stop companies paying, you know, below this rate of tax in different jurisdictions, right? And it's calculated country by country. Would this sort of change that negotiation if already people are onshoring their IP and their licenses? Uh, well, the minimum tax isn't about companies paying more tax. Uh, at, at 15%, almost all companies are already paying um, more tax than 15%. The minimum tax is a competitiveness issue. Um, it's about the location of those risks, functions and assets we spoke about. Uh, and countries like Ireland have been very, very successful in attracting some of those risks, functions and assets by offering lower tax rates, uh, by offering lower tax outcomes. Um, and what the, the minimum tax is about doing is essentially about the large countries trying to level the playing field, uh, trying to reduce uh, the ability of certain countries to use tax incentives uh, to attract investment. It won't really result in, in companies paying more tax. If it's at 15%, uh, most companies already pay tax in excess of 15%. And even in the case of Ireland, like the rate is 12.5%. So it's not a, a huge jump. Uh, but what it is doing is, is, in a sense, that the large countries, which already have significant advantages, uh, trying to level the playing field uh, on one of those advantages they don't have. Uh, because one of the issues with small countries is that they can afford to apply lower tax rates to companies because they're small to begin with. Their domestic market is small. Ireland doesn't collect much corporation tax from Irish companies because in overall terms they're quite small. Whereas if you are France or a Germany and you want to lower your tax rates to attract foreign investment, well, you have to lower the tax on all your domestic companies and then you might get a marginal increase uh, in investment from abroad. So it would be a huge cost reducing the tax revenue you collect from your companies and quite a small benefit. The arithmetic is much different for smaller countries um, and it's trying to reduce the ability of certain smaller countries to do that, that this minimum tax is about. Mm. I guess um, if the, the sort of global negotiations are going to change any of this calculus, um, once you have Pillar 1 in place and then some of these profits are going to be shifted theoretically to market jurisdictions and once you have the minimum sort of rate is going to reduce the sort of competitive advantage of smaller countries um is it going to have an effect on the uh, on the outcomes um when it comes to, to, to royalty payments no I, I don't think it will have uh, much of an impact there i think the companies are, are probably going to at least in the medium term um adopt similar countries and yes you're right that the larger countries do have a revenue play uh, and the revenue play for them is that more profit is taxed in the market countries um so the likes of google Facebook can sell advertising in France, etc., and have very limited presence there. They can do it all online and they don't really have to have um, any direct activity. Yes, they have some presence, 
in France. But the way that the current rules operate mean that they can have the contract closed in Dublin. So the revenue flows from France to Dublin. And now the royalties are going from Ireland directly to the US. Uh, and most of the profit, based on the functions at least, is now rightfully uh, allocated to the US. But the play that the, the larger countries are making now is that more of that profit should be taxed in the market countries, um, where the, the customers are. And up to now, that hasn't really been an element at all in how companies are taxed. There is a logic to it. Like, what is one of the key assets the large companies have? It's us. It's our data. They're using our search history, our location, our context. These are all hugely valuable assets um, for these companies. So while, yes, the engineers might be in the US, a key part of their profit-generating activity, us, is in the market countries. And that is the revenue place. So, so the larger countries, because they have more of the customers, uh, hope to gain more tax revenue as a result of that. So the likes of France saying that some of these companies don't pay tax with the bit to them left out will hopefully, from their perspective, will hopefully have to say that now these companies are paying tax to them uh, because tax is paid on the basis of where the customers are. So that might change. But I don't necessarily see immediately, at least, the companies changing their structures. There will be changes in how uh, the tax calculation is done. Um, but again, the companies are going to respond. I think over time, you will see the companies respond. Like, companies are tax-minimizing entities. Um, if we change the rules, they'll change their behavior. Uh, but I don't think we'll see that in the near term. We will be more about how this new system plays out uh, over the medium term. Towards sort of the the um, end of the, the, the um, document that was sort of agreed July earlier this year, um, it was sort of indicated um, that they're trying to implement this soon. Is that going to sort of um, have an effect on um, things like uh, free trade zones or areas where there are currently sort of designed to minimize tax? Um, and I sort of asked this question with with this specific idea in mind. Are there companies making investment decisions today to operate in some of these zones that will be affected by these changes? <laughs> a good question, but I'm, I'm not sure that you'd be able to provide a, a per precise answer at this stage. For one, the implementation timeline seems very, very short. We're at the end of 2021 and we still don't have agreement uh, on the fine detail. Um, of the, the OECD proposals and there are a couple of holdouts and even countries which signed up in July some of them came out almost immediately afterwards and said they had reservations now those reservations weren't significant enough for them to not sign the short press release issued in July but they did come out India came out almost immediately with a whole list of demands it wanted in the final agreement um, so I think that there's a way to go yet before you have that final agreement and then to have it implemented by the start of 2023, remember in European terms within the EU, whatever is agreed at OECD level will have to be transposed into EU law and you'll need EU directives and possibly even an EU regulation uh, to come into force. And to have that done by the start of 2023 um, seems highly unlikely. But that's the timeline that's set out. Are companies making investment decisions on the basis of it? I wouldn't think so. I still think there's too much uncertainty. Uh, in the case of Ireland, of course, many of the companies operating here are U.S. companies, uh, and they will be looking to see what happens with the U.S. tax law. Uh, the Biden administration have set out their agenda and their proposals for what they think should happen to the taxation of U.S. companies. That's all highly uncertain at the moment, and we'll see how that plays out. Uh, and then, of course, the OECD and negotiations are also ongoing, and there's sort of a, a cross-pollination between the two as to what the final agreement will be. So I think companies 
are kind of maybe hating some of this at the moment because they don't like such uncertainty. Uh, so I would be surprised um, if they were basing investment decisions right now um, on some of these outcomes. Are they going to look at some of these um, sort of trade and tax zones you refer to? I think many of them are being limited and, and reduced, although even in, in the current round of negotiations, we see countries looking for car votes. Uh, the UK looking for a car vote for financial sector, uh, maybe trying to attract investment into London. Uh, so I think there's a lot of uncertainty at the moment. Uh, companies are probably looking at a five, six, seven year horizon, particularly some of the um, manufacturing companies. They're looking at where they'll put their plant in, in 2027. Um, and I don't think that they're going to rush into it, just given the uncertainty that's there now. But it definitely is something that will have a role to play. These rules will change and the companies will respond to whatever those rules are. That was Seamus Coffey, an economist at University College Cork in Ireland. You can find up-to-the-minute news on the latest tax and accounting developments at our website, news.bluebirdtax.com. That website, once again, is news.bluebirdtax.com. If you want to chat with us, get in touch with us on Twitter. We use the handle at tax. Today's Talking Tax was produced by Hamza Ali and myself, David Schultz. Patrick Ambrosio is our editor, and our executive producer is Josh Block. From Washington, I'm David Schultz. Thanks for listening. The number of words in the tax code is estimated to be 1 million, about the same length as the entire Harry Potter series. Add in IRS regs, rev rulings, and case law, and it can be a lot. We all need a little help to sort it out. Each week on the Tax Girl podcast, I talk to the best in the business. And these aren't crazy technical dives. They're interesting and easy to digest looks at topics that matter to you. It's all that you need to stay ahead on the most important tax issues. You can subscribe to the podcast for free on taxgirl.com because paying taxes is painful, but hearing about them shouldn't be.